Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. Amen. All right, today we're continuing our series, Make a Mark. And of course, as we said the last couple of weeks, you know, everybody wants to be happy. Everybody. I don't care if you know God. You, don't, you think God does, doesn't exist, if you hate God, whoever you are, you want to be happy. And when we think about the things that will make us happy, we often think about things like money, uh, love, accomplishment, family, etc. And all those things definitely can play a role in us enjoying our lives, but we often miss Maybe the most important thing that would actually make us happy, and that is making a difference in the lives of other people. In fact, as we've said the last couple of weeks, you'll never be happy until you are consistently making a difference in the lives of other people. And here at FA Church, we just simply call that making a mark because our our logo is an X, and we feel like every time we make a difference in somebody's life, it's like we're drawing an X on them. They're having a faith experience. In the last couple of weeks, we, we dove into this a little bit more. We found out that indeed you need to make a mark for God, for him, for them, and for yourself. We talked about five ways to make a mark for God. We talked about that you can make a mark through doing random acts of kindness, through serving consistently, through dominating in the workplace. We talked about the fact that you can make a mark for God through discipling new believers and sharing Jesus with people who are far from God. There's a sixth one that I did not give you because we just finished a whole series on that, and that is giving generously. That's another way you can make a mark for God. And then last week, we learned that with great power comes great responsibility. That God has given you the ability to make a mark, to make a difference in this world, but you got to develop to a place where you are consistently using that ability. You got to grow up spiritually. And so we learned that that's what God expects us to do. And we gave you God's growth plan for you that you know God through experiences that you uh, uh, find freedom through relationships, you discover your purpose through exploring, you make a mark in this world like God wants you to make a mark in this world. I like something that Charles Spurgeon said. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. In other words, you should be making a mark for God. And that's why our vision here, as we talked about last week, is really to help people who are far from God experience the future God has for them. How? By them knowing God, finding freedom, discovering their purpose, and making a mark. And really, you could simply say it this way our vision is to help people far from God get to the place where they're making a mark for God. And so we just showed you a scoreboard, right? It was showing you all the, the, the four steps that, that we encourage our members to go through, the four parts of our vision. And the first one, I, I doubt they can put this on the screen because I just decided to do this. But the first one said, no God. So we showed you we have 200 something people that have made a decision for Jesus through our experiences at FX Church. But the next one was to find freedom. 
And we showed, we had about 200 people that have been attending a group at FX Church, right? The next one was to discover their purpose, right? And so we showed how many people have been to explore. I think the number was somewhere like 80 or something like that. Well, how many know that number should really be more like 200? And then we went to make a mark that how many people are actually serving on the X team. And that number was like 30 out of 200. So as a pastor, if I'm evaluating our effectiveness as a church based on what we've been seeing in the Bible, based on what we have been started to do, I can't look at the 200 something number and say, oh, we're doing our job. I'm looking at the 30 because our job is to make disciples. Our job is to, to help people get to the place where they're making a mark for God. And so honestly, as a pastor of our conversation that we've had recently as a core team is we're really not doing our job as well as we should be. Because we've got a lot of people that may come to church, might go to a group, maybe make it to explore to figure out what their purpose is, but they're not actually making a mark. They're not actually drawing X's anywhere. They're coming to church and having X's drawn on them every week, but they aren't doing anything outside of church. And one church I went to, I believe it was uh, Eagle Mountain Church in Fort Worth. And as you drive out, there's a sign that says you're entering the mission field. And so what they're saying to their members is that, you know, you come to church to get tanked up, but then you go out into the mission field to make a difference for God. And so what that shows me with 30 people is that a lot of the folk that we're winning aren't actually going into the mission field to make a mark for God. And even when I look at our church's X team numbers, right? I mean, on a typical Sunday, you know, in the building, we'll have 250, 300 people right now. Online, we'll have another 150 people, regular Sunday today. But how many people are actually serving? We might have 50 on a Sunday. That might be a good week. How many people are actually on the X team? Maybe 100. But I know we've got five, 600 people that are members of this church because most people don't come to church every week. But anyway, so I know what we have. So you mean to tell me this church that receives all the benefits of XX Church and that are here to be trained to do something for God that maybe 20% are actually serving? I said, Pastor, did you just come to fuss today? Actually, I didn't come to fuss, but this dropped in my spirit as soon as I walked up on the, pay, on the stage that we need to talk about this because... That's the whole purpose of why we exist as a church. When you make a mark, we'll reach more people that'll make a mark. We'll reach more people that'll make a mark. We can't talk about saving Detroit and impacting the Midwest and doing what God wants to do worldwide if we aren't going to start by making a mark today, ourselves. Otherwise, we're just like, you know, we're just having a good time together. We're just a good, we have good family reunions. But that's not why we exist, just to make sure we can go to heaven. We exist to save the world around us. All right, so I'm done fussing. So I want to go a different direction with this today. And, and of course, since we've talked about the five ways to make a mark, we've talked about how to grow into disciples that do so, that make a mark. I want to give you really a master key to actually doing it. And so I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 5. And verse 14, <laughs> I'm going to pull a page from my dad's book. Somebody say, I love Pastor Andre because he tells me the truth. All right, I feel a little better. I feel a little better. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. 
Jesus is talking. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So notice what Jesus says to those who are his followers, and it applies to us today, that, that believe in Jesus. You are the light of the world. He didn't say you should be light. He said you are light. The minute you chose to follow Jesus, the Bible says you became a brand new creature on the inside. Old things passed away. All things became new. What was darkness became light. You are a light. Another way of saying that is that you're lit. I woke somebody up. You're the candle and God lit the candle. Now you are light. You are fire. And the purpose of light, as he says here, is to actually bring it into a dark room so it gives light to everybody in the room. Everybody can see. Everybody can function. And so God's saying, you are the light that I brought into this world. I am actually, I've given you a platform so that you can shine, so that you can help the world around you have light. That tells me that the world is a dark place. And we know that it is. The Bible says the whole world lieth in darkness. We see people who are suffering with anxiety, suffering with depression, sickness, disease, family breakup. We see people committing suicide. We know about all the needs and all the hurts that people have all over the world. And God's will is for that to change. And that's why you're in the place you're in because God wants you to bring light to those around you. He wants them, this people around you to see the truth about Jesus. He wants people around you to be set free and to, to walk in the future that God has for them. And so Jesus is telling us here, this is you. This is your purpose. This is why you're here. You don't just exist for you anymore. You exist to give light to them. Notice verse 16. So let your light, let your light. You're the subject of this sentence. You determine if this is going to happen or not. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So notice he's telling us that even though you are a light, you choose whether or not it shines or not. You are light, but you could try to hide that light. You could dampen that light. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to choose to let your light shine. Somebody turn to him and tell him, shine, baby, shine. Turn to somebody and tell him, shine, baby, shine. Put that in the comments online. That's what he's saying. You need to shine, baby, shine. You are light, but you got to let the light shine. So we had seven tornadoes that apparently impacted Detroit and, and Michigan a couple of days ago. And so, you know, when it was loud and, and ominous in my neighborhood, I started going through the house grabbing these flashlights. And, you know, so I grabbed you know, some flashlights from downstairs and I had some, you know, by the bed and I, I went through the house and I gave lights to, to everybody in the house, my wife and, and my kids. And one of my kids had a friend spending the night and I gave everybody a light. But how many know just because you have a light doesn't mean that people around you will be able to see or you will be able to see? 
right, for that light to help you. If there is a blackout, you got to turn the light on. Now, y'all can't see too well, but you can see that the light is on, right? And, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, you are light, but you need to make a decision to shine. You need to make a decision to shine so that those around you can see the truth about Jesus. They can experience what God wants them to experience. So once again, Jesus is saying, shine, baby, shine. God wants you to shine. Well, how do I do that? Well, notice again what he said. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, that they may see your good works. So wait, Jesus, that sounds good, letting my light shine, but, but what does that look like? Practically speaking, how do I let my light shine? By doing good works. You see how he said it? Let your light shine so they can see your good works. So he's talking about what you do. He's talking about you consistently doing works that point people to God. These aren't even just natural works. These are supernatural works. They're not just good works. They're God works. I mean, it's like when Jesus said, love your enemies. I mean, that's a God work when you love your enemy. I didn't say when you hold back from killing your enemy. You know, you, you kind of hang in there. I'm talking about when you love them. When you pray for those that despitefully use you. You use your precious prayer time to pray for that person who's actually causing you the most trouble in life. Romans 12 talks about that when people are, are coming against you to actually feed them that when they're hungry and give them drink when they're thirsty. Because when you do that, you're pouring coals of hot fire on their head. But that's not talking about you getting revenge. That's saying you will melt their hearts. So he's, he, that's just an example of the type of good works we should be doing. He's showing us here that shining, baby, shining is actually doing good works. And he continues by saying that when they see your good works, they'll glorify your Father which is in heaven. First Peter 2 says that when they see your good works, that, that which they, then that will actually lead to them giving God glory when Jesus returns. In other words, your actions can actually lead people to God. I didn't say your words. Now that's part of it. We're going to see in a moment that, that, you know, your words are important and all of that, but we can see even more that what you do has an impact on whether or not people believe in him. And Jesus is saying, I want you to on purpose go around shining your light. I want you to do good works because when you do good works, that causes people to see the truth about me. All right, so, so how do I do that? Because that sounds good, but we all live in the real world. We all are around difficult people. We find ourselves in difficult situations. We have, you know, we don't always feel so great. We don't always, you know, want to do the right thing. You know, there are times where we, we, we wish we didn't even, you know, chose to follow, do this Jesus thing. You want to throw down your light. What you mean? Be kind to them. Can I just knock them out, Lord? Can I just take off the salvation just for a few moments and do a little stumping and then put it back on? Anybody ever feel like that? Am I the only one? Do y'all just need to pray for me? 
right? I mean, it, it sounds great. Let your light shine. And I remember growing up, we used to sing the song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. It sounds great. And there's no believer that's going to have a problem with anything that I just said. But actually doing it on a consistent basis, that's a little bit more difficult. Loving my enemies, giving when I'm supposed to give, praying when I'm supposed to pray, being diligent when I'm supposed to be diligent. All things we know we're supposed to be doing. How do I get to the place where I actually am letting my light shine like Jesus said I'm supposed to be? I'm supposed to be. Well, let's go to Exodus chapter 34. I'm going to give you five keys to shining today to kind of take you from, let's just call it theory, into practice. The first one is have a real relationship with God. Somebody say real. Have a real relationship with God. You don't have to say real because there's something, there's a fake version. Where I, maybe I pray the prayer of salvation. Where I wear the label Christian. I might wear some witness wear, a t-shirt, FX shirt, or, you know, I might claim a church. I might even have changed some of my behavior, but I don't have a real relationship with God. You know, being a preacher's kid, I grew up having a bit of, uh, I don't want to say hatred, but distaste for fake Christianity. You know, when you grow up in church, even a church where they teach the Bible and, you know, they, all of that, and I grew up in a very strong church, there are still people that are just faking it. And there are still things we do in church that really have nothing to do with the Bible or God. The Bible calls it traditions of men. In other words, I used to hate the pomp and circumstance of church. I used to hate, you know, we just, why do you have to look this way and say this way and do it this way? Just because. I used to hate just because. I'm too logical for that. That makes no sense. Is there even a scripture for that? Like I used to, even the whole dressing up to go to church thing. Now, I didn't figure this out until later on, but that's not in the Bible. Wear your Sunday best. Not in the Bible. Not there. You got one scripture that would seem to point in that direction, but if you look at the scripture, what Jesus, what God was saying to Israel was, wash your clothes. Before you come to church, put on some clean clothes. And we turn that into hats and, and ties and suits and, and all. And if you don't happen to have that and you walk into church, we're going to look at you funny and what's wrong with you. Even though you don't know God, you know nothing about God. So we end up pushing you away from God over the fact that you don't have the latest suit. I used to hate stuff like that. Don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with somebody wearing their best to church. I have no problem with that. But the idea that that's what we have to do, I used to hate stuff like that. What got my attention as a preacher's kid 
You know, what helped me to not be someone that was running away from God like so many others was that I found out that this was real. That a relationship with God is a real thing. And that that's actually what the core of Christianity is. Not religion, but relationship. And when I developed my own relationship with God, that changed everything except the course of my life. And that's what I have every day, all day, just like I do with my my wife and my family and anybody else I'm dealing with, I might talk to God more than I talk to everybody else. And some say, oh man, you know, is that real? Yes, it's real, real. Every bit as real as you are, as your body is, as the sun is, as the universe is, as all that we see in this world is real, so is your relationship with God. God is, he's so amazing. He created the whole universe and yet he's so amazing that he pays attention to very hairs on your head. He's vast but specific. And so in Exodus 34, I want to show you how, how augmenting or, and I can't think of the right word, but developing this relationship with God will help you get to the place where your light is shining all the time. Here's just an example. Now, it was so that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands, hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Now, what what was just happening here? If we were to back up uh, just a scripture or two, we'd find out Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights up on Mount Sinai in the presence of God. And it was such a supernatural experience, he didn't eat or drink for 40 days. He didn't need food, he had God. And so when he came down, he didn't know that the skin of his face was shining. Clearly his time with God led to God kind of being smeared on him. So he walked out with God showing. You keep reading here, sir. So when Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. This is a faith experience. To come in face to face with the reality of God. This man is shining, and this ain't lotion, baby. This ain't grease. This is God shining. The man has been spending time with God. And when he came out of his time with God, he was shining with the glory of God. So Moses called them to him and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him. So picture this. He comes down. They're like, whoa, they backing up. And Moses like, it's okay. It's okay. Come on, man. Come on. It's still me. It's Moses. And they start kind of coming closer to him. And then, of course, about Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came near and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. So literally, because he shot shining so much he has to put a veil over his face so they will actually be able to get past how bright he is and and hear what he has to say and then whenever he would go before God he'd just take the veil off you know and go back and so this was something that was lasting for a while as I was reading this I realized that it appears that when he starts talking about the offering for the tabernacle maybe some of the other things he talks to him about he did it with a veil over his face because he was shining 
from spending time in God's presence. You know, my wife doesn't like going into certain restaurants that, you know, where you can, where the food is kind of heavy in the atmosphere. In other words, it smells like food. You know, so you walk in and it smells like chicken. You walk out and you smell like chicken. She hates that. Now, I don't mind that because I like the smell of chicken. So I'm like, hey, I smell like chicken. But she hates. But see, this is what happens when you get in the presence of God, though. This is a picture of what happens spiritually when you spend time with God. You spend time with him. That's what Moses did. He was spending time with God's presence and the presence, the power of God, the glory of God was lotioned all over him. And when you spend time with God every day, when you do what Ephesians 5 says in verse 18, be being filled, you stay in the presence of God long enough that your spirit man gets filled up. And you can tell, you know, you have, you can feel, you can sense that you're full. Sometimes a song of victory comes out of your mouth. Sometimes a laugh comes out of your mouth. When you pray through that day, you, 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 there's something that's going to be different about you. You'll have strength to make a mark. Or maybe you might have been too weak. The strength to find, to find, uh, to, to, to say the right thing instead of the wrong thing. The strength to to be bold enough to talk to somebody about Jesus instead of shrinking away. You'll have have the wisdom of God to know exactly what to do on the job so that this project actually is successful versus not really knowing what to do. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll have this supernatural ability available to you because you took the time to be with him. Another way of looking at that is you know, this, this flashlight has batteries. And, you know, so we've already established that this thing will shine if you press the button. But anybody ever notice what happens if the battery's taken out? You take the battery out, take another battery out. If you put the top back on this thing, you can press this button all you want. There's no shining going on. Why? Because it can shine because of the batteries, right? And that's really a problem that I think a number of us have is we're trying to act like Jesus. We're trying to to shine like he wants us to shine, but we don't ever have time with Jesus. So there's no batteries. And that's why you can't stop doing the thing you've been trying to stop doing. I can't stop sleeping around. You ain't got no batteries. I can't stop smoking weed. No batteries. I can't, I can't keep my mouth shut and not, and not tell them off when they tell me off. No batteries. I can't get myself to talk to people about Jesus. No batteries. I don't even know what God's called me to do. No batteries. You cannot live this life the way you're supposed to. You will not shine, baby shine, if you don't do on a daily basis what Moses did which is to go up to your own Mount Sinai. That might be a closet in your house. That might be a room. That might, it might just be laying in bed, but staying awake and praying. But whatever it is, without that consistently, you're not going to shine very much. The Bible says about Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship, the Amplified Bible says, Habitual, it's a habit, fellowship with God. 
for another 300 years. Enoch was the first man raptured. He's talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. What made him so special? He did what Moses did all the time. God was his hanging buddy. He spent time with God. It was his habit. In fact, I believe Noah was his, I don't know which, his grandson, great-great-grandson, whatever it was. But when the Bible talked about Noah, the Bible says Noah also walked in close fellowship with God. Why is he the one that is saved? Why is his family saved from the flood? He walked with God. Time with God makes your light brighter. And you can't make a mark with God until you have been marked by your time with God. So you need to have a real, somebody say real, relationship with God. All right. Acts chapter six, number two. How do I truly make a difference, right? How do I shine, baby shine? Somebody turn to him and tell him, shine, baby shine. And, and, and I, I came right out the box with the prayer part because I cannot express enough to you how important that is. I just can't. I remember being a younger Christian and I didn't get up and pray. And then I remember being a little bit older and pastoring, but still only praying when I had to preach. But my life didn't really turn and I didn't really start regularly walking in the supernatural. And I don't mean just doing miracles. I mean, just God leading me and doors opening and and and, you know, God using all that stuff until I actually started praying every day. I made it my habit. And to me, prayer is is as natural as brushing my teeth. In fact, if you ever get up and not brush your teeth, how does it feel? You, you, you're going throughout your day like something wrong. I don't feel right. Everybody else already knows something wrong. You know, they, but you like, because it's your habit. And the same thing is true with prayer. It really should get, for me, it's to the place where if I did not pray, it would bother me all day. Because it's become a habit. Well, how do you make something a habit? You just do it. And then you do it the next day and you do it the next day. What do they say in, in the natural? Just, you know, they'll tell you it takes about 21 days to make a habit. Well, I got good news for you. We're about to do 21 days of prayer, right? So this is a great opportunity if you don't have this habit to start the habit because that's what's going to help you to shine. It's also going to help God to do some amazing things in your life. Number two, live right before God and man. How do you shine, baby, shine? You got to live right. Somebody say right. How many know if you can live right, you can live wrong? Anybody ever had some time where you were living wrong? Thank you for those three amens, the five hands. The rest of y'all living wrong right now. You lying in church. No. Acts chapter six, verse three. Therefore, brethren, seek you out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. What business? Well, in Acts chapter 6, the church had been growing, man, and it was, it was huge. And one of the things the church was offering was daily food for widows. They didn't have their husbands anymore, which meant they didn't have any, anyone to provide for them, so the church was providing for them. And 
racism sprung up in the church, a variation of it. What was happening was that the Greek widows were not getting the daily administration. The Hebrew widows were. So how many believe it that caused a problem? It's like the black folk ain't getting it, but the white folk are. Now you get it. Okay, problem. Church-wide problem. So the disciples, the top 11, they decide we got to deal with this. They bring everybody together. Everybody shows up. And they said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have an election. We want you to pick seven men, and they're going to be the ones who oversee this business. Make sure everybody's getting what they should be getting. That was the business of just simply serving tables. But they're saying, they say here, but the people that you select, the people that you elect, and we could pay attention to this when it comes to who we elect nowadays, they need to be people who are of honest report, as the King James Version says, or of good reputation. That means that they've lived their lives in such a way that other people would say they live right. There's a couple other scriptures in the Bible similar to this in 1 Timothy 3 when Paul talks about whether or not a man was qualified to become a bishop. He mentions that they must have a good report of those that are without. In other words, it's not just the Christians that are saying they live right. It's the non-Christians. Most of us grew up with teachers sending home an evaluation of our behavior to our parents. Some of us, that wasn't a problem. For others of us, we ran. We hid because we knew we were in trouble, right? Well, he's telling, he's saying here that if the world were to do an evaluation of how you live, even though they don't believe what you believe, they would still have to say, yeah, they live right. Titus 2 is another one. We'll probably go there in a moment. But he talks there about even your enemies will be ashamed because they really have nothing they can say against your behavior. Nothing true. Now, we live in a world today where people lie all the time about what people have said and what people have done. But what God is interested in is that you're actually still blameless. That they could, if they make something up, they have to be ashamed because they know that you actually live right. And that's important because when you live right before God and man, that puts you in a position where people will hear what you have to say about Jesus or what others say to them about Jesus. And and to help you to see how true that is, I want you to flip this over and I'm going to look at Titus chapter 2. Let's see what happens when you don't live right. Here he's talking about how the home was supposed to operate. And he said, the old woman likewise, that they be reverent in behavior not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Did you see that? So teach the young women to do the things they're supposed to be doing because if they don't do those things, that's going to make the word look bad. The word blasphemy means vilify, defame. So in other words, what he's saying is I don't want the young women to be individuals that are not loving their children, not loving their husbands, not taking care of their homes, not of good character, when the world knows that a lot of their, their wives do those things. So you got the, the non-Christian woman who's a 
good wife, or at least as good as she could be without God's help. And then you got the Christian woman who's an awful wife, and God is saying, if she acts like that, that's going to cause the word of God to be blasphemed. That's going to have an impact on whether or not this woman even hears anything about Jesus. Then he flips it to the young men, and then he says, just in case somebody's starting to get offended, why well, I always got to talk about the ladies, and when everyone talk about the men, let's read about the men. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, serious, not drunk and silly, and all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine showing integrity, reverence, and corruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So young men that are solid versus young men that are wishy-washy and silly and, and, and driven by their flesh. He's saying, no, you can't be that because the word will be blasphemed. But if you're solid, then that'll cause people who, who hate God to have to be able to admit, babe, but you live right. And it'll keep the door open for them to believe in God at one point. And isn't that what we read in Matthew chapter 5? Let your light shine before men so they'll see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So basically, they didn't believe in God. They watched how you live. And one day it opened a door for them to actually believe, hear what they had, what was told them about Jesus. And they believed in God. And when Jesus returns, they're standing next to you, happy he's coming back because they're part of the family. So get this, your actions have a huge impact on whether or not people believe. This is why a lot of people don't go to church. I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Now it's a stupid, stupid statement because like I don't go to the gym because it's full of fat people. They're there to get in shape. So it's okay that they may not look the way that they want to look right now. And church is a place where people go to become what God wants them to be. But I do get what they're saying. Because a lot of us have grown up around mean Christians, fake Christians. And I did too, being a PK, I definitely had people in church that were mean, just mean, for no reason. Literally be sitting in church praising God and dancing with everybody else. And as soon as church is over, as mean as can be, like, did you not just come out of church? Did Jesus not rub off on you at all? Right? And that has an impact. You start looking at all the statistics and all the surveys, and one of the biggest reasons that people don't want to go to church and they don't believe in God is because of mean, crazy Christians. Now, it's a lame excuse because you're not following the Christian, you're following Jesus. Nobody blames Beethoven if somebody plays Beethoven wrong. That's the person who's playing it that's wrong. But we want to blame Jesus if somebody does Christianity wrong. But we can see here that God understands this. So if you're really going to make a mark for me, you got to have a good reputation. You got to live right. Different from how the world is living. I mean, y'all could go somewhere and they're drinking, but they know you're a Christian. You shouldn't be drinking anyway. But you bet not drink then, because they watching. They in the club doing their thing, but you in the club with them, they see you. Our actions speak a lot louder than our words. Come on, they sleeping around with their boyfriend or girlfriend, but you name the name of Jesus. And so then y'all talking about 
your experience with your boyfriend and your girlfriend, you don't think they, they see that? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, but, you, but you're a Christian, right? No, but when they see, huh, I don't drink. I don't, I don't even put that stuff in my body. The Bible says, oh, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. Kings don't drink. It's Proverbs 31, right? No, I, I, I don't cuss like that. I just, I just don't do that. The Bible tells me to let no corrupt communication come out of my mouth. No obscene language to come out. I don't even tell dirty jokes because the Bible tells me I shouldn't do that. No, I, I ain't going to the club. The Bible tells me to not even, not, not, not to even put myself in positions of temptation. I'm not going to go up in there and, and no. See, that kind of stuff, while they criticize you, what's really happening is your light shining. And when things get really dark, they know who to go to. Number three. Oh, let me say one more thing about this. So this is what happens when you, when you live in sin. Because, you know, the Bible says, that, you know, if we were to back up in Matthew chapter five, if you are the salt of the world, but if salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing. If you live in sin, then, then your light's dim. So when I walked through the house and I gave my kids flashlights, I found a number of them that were, were like this one, uh, and this is bright as can be. But then I found a couple of them that were like this one, which is actually pretty dim. And so, you know, they were joking when I, I gave it to them real quickly because, you know, the, the storm was happening and, and I'm like, let me just give this to you right now, just in case we lose power right now while I went to go get the better ones. And then when I came in with the better ones, one of my daughters was like, well, thank you, because we weren't going to see very much with this light. This wasn't going to do anything. And she's laughing. And, you know, that's what some of us have become, the dim light. With the dim light, you know, you get a little bit of light. You know, you say, Jesus, I can see a little bit, but no. And God said, no, I need you to live right before God and before men. Man. I'm actually out of time. What y'all think? See, this is, this is how it worked, though. The people in the front be like, yeah, go for it. And people will be like, like, no, no, it's God. No, shut up. All right. Let me give you at least number three real fast. Just be led about it. Take your place, and I actually added in here, run your race. How do I let my light so shine? Take your place, which means, and, and that also means run your way. So look, Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8, in his grace, God has given us different gifts, faculties, talents, qualities for doing certain things well. Oh, look at that. The King James Version says that God has given us a grace which is a divine enablement. And so because of this grace, we all have gifts, which is a miraculous faculty. So there are things that come easy to you that don't come easy to me. There are things that come easy to me that don't come easy to you. There are things you do supernaturally well. Right now. We call this a grace gift. We talk about this in Explore. A grace gift is a spiritual gift that you're good at that makes an eternal difference. 
in the lives of other people. A grace gift. So God has given everybody a grace gift. There's something you do very well. Now he lists seven of them here and an argument could be made, a very strong argument, that everybody is found within one of these seven. And Paul doesn't spend a lot of time explaining these. I, I, believe me, I've been looking at this topic for a while. He just doesn't say a whole lot about it. And I get the impression that he, he feels like you should know which one you are. And that might come from doing what we just finished talking about, spending time with God. That also might come from having talking to people around you that know you well enough to be able to identify the gifts that you have. Well, that's a whole other topic. I want you to notice this point. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, First Peter actually talks about, you know, the gift of speaking. I think that's actually, they're talking about the same thing. It's, the whole context is similar. Speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your faith, your, your gift is serving, or as Amplified Bible says, practical service, you're just good at serving, helping people. It just naturally just, you, that's just your flow. Serve them well. If you are a teacher, you give out instruction. Maybe you're a teacher in a classroom. Maybe you're teaching kids or you're teaching college students or you're teaching, you know, in, in, in your corporation. You're, that, you're the trainer. Whatever it is, God says, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, you're naturally an encourager. That's what you just do. You build people up. You help people feel better. You get them, you motivate them. He says, be encouraging. If it is giving, and obviously here he's not talking about just regular tithe and offering. He's talking about somebody that has a grace to give, which means they got a grace to make a lot of money so they can give a lot of money. Give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, the King James Version says the ability to rule. In other words, here's your politicians, here's your governors and mayors and, and, and school board heads and the like. He says, take the responsibility seriously. The King James says, be diligent. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, the King James Version talks about mercy. You're that kind of person that, you're the merciful person. You're the one that we say, man, we want to start a dream center and help people that don't have food and clothes and you are all in because that's you. You're a social worker. You're, you, 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 you care so deeply for people that are hurting. That's just naturally you. You would love to go overseas and to a village and just feed folk and help folk. That's, 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 that's your gifting. Some other folk will find that as hard as all get out. But for you, you'd be sitting in heaven. It says do it kindly. Cheerfully. Let me read this to you from the message translation. In this way, we are like, in fact, I'll back up the verse four in the message. He says, in this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets his meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body, but as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned to all these excellently formed and marvelous functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. 
So if you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with a disadvantage, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. What's he trying to say here? He's saying, I want you to use the gifts I gave you. Use it, use it, use it, use it. First Peter chapter four, I'll read one more to you in verse 10. It says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. The exact same teaching. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it. Somebody say, do it. With all the strength and energy that God supplies. So there's two things we can get out of this. Number one, God expects you to take the time to discover your calling and your gifts. I like something Keith Moore said. He said, in America, we tell our kids, you can be whatever you want to be, but that's not so in the kingdom of God. You get to be what he wants you to be. So my, my emphasis on my children has been, we're going to find out what God has called you to do. And that's important because it's in that lane that your grace works. That's where you can make the most impact. For example, you don't want me trying to shine in a dance contest. Come on, I know some, some people who are part of this church, and that's what they do. They're in ballroom dance contests, they do things like that, and, and they have a gift, so they're able to shine in that way. But you don't want me in that, because I can't even, y'all remember the running man? Some of y'all, y'all don't remember the running man, because, because that's old. I could never do the running man. Do you remember, what is this, the cabbage patch? I could never do that. What is it? Is it the, is the gritty now? Is that what they call it? You know what I'm preaching that at some point my mind just disappears. But I can't do that either. My daughter was like, I want you to make a TikTok with me. I'm like, I, you don't want that. You don't want that. I can't do any of that stuff. You know, but some people, they can shine there and do that. And it leads to them talking to somebody about Jesus. And, 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 and they, you know, but me, that's not my lane. Now, I can speak. That's my, I can write. That's my lane. So that's where I shine. That's where, for me, that's when I'm turning the light on. But when I try to dance, <laughs> that's part of the problem we have is that you're trying to shine, baby, shine, and dancing, but you can't dance. You don't know your lane. You don't even know what you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be doing. And so God is telling you, you need to take the time to figure out what you're supposed to be. You need to take the time to get in your lane. And there's an example here in terms of, hey, you might be the one that's called to ministry. And that's where you shine. That's how you let your light shine. You might be the one that's just, you're, you're a teacher. That's just, you just have an ability to give people information. I saw this great video online maybe yesterday and it was a science teacher and her little her presentation was fire. It, of course, it went viral. She just has a gift on, in teaching kids about science. I wanted to sit in that class. 
You know, you might be somebody that's great at dealing with a disadvantage. You know, that's, for example, on our core team, Rolanda's like that. She, she leads our outreach team. She just has a natural ability to connect with people in that way. Right? Whatever you, what, what's yours? Do you see yourself in these scriptures? Because you're there. Which one are you? And when you figure that out, do it. Take your place. You know what I said? Take your place. Oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. Here I come. I'm coming. I'm doing it. Get out the way. This is my thing. Right? There are definitely people in my life like that. You know, I'm starting dancing. No, you just sit down. I'll do the dancing, you know. Right? But it's time to speak. You know, they all look at me. I mean, I get around my family. They don't even want to pray. You going to pray? Like, you a Christian. You can pray too. But take your place. Run your race. That's how you let your light shine before men. Let me go to Proverbs 28. I'm going to give you another one real fast. Y'all still with me? There's so much more to say about Romans 12. I'm going to stay out of it because I feel like there's a whole book there. I'm still trying to figure some of that out. Proverbs number four. This goes right along with what I just said. Be bold. Somebody say bold. bold. In faith. Be bold in faith. This is how you shine, baby, shine. You got to be bold. See, listen, if the room is dark and, you know, there's been a, a blackout, that at some point, you know, the, light, the flashlight has to be brought in the room. Somebody has to turn the light on, right? You got to turn it on or it does no good. And you can have all, all things we talked about, walk with God every day. And you could be somebody that, you know, that spends time with him. And you can be somebody that knows your place in God. And you can be somebody that, that's living right before God. But if you aren't bold in faith, you never turn the light on. You never open your mouth. You never take your place. You, well, what good is it to be a light? What good is it if, if you can, you know, we're on the court and you can throw a 50, but you won't even take a shot. Like, if you're not going to even bother, man, just sit down. You got to be bold. And this makes some of us nervous because of a revelation we need to get. And in fact, as I was driving in this morning, I really got it. And honestly, I decided I'm adding this to my own confession. Because we struggle sometimes with insecurity. We struggle sometimes with, with low self-esteem. We struggle sometimes with, with, with doing things that we should, we should not be struggling with as a believer. Let me read it to you. Proverbs 28, 1. I'm starting to get too happy here. Verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as what? Bold. Somebody say it again. Say it like you mean it. Say bold. bold. Be bold in saying it. Say it one more time. Bold. bold. The righteous are as bold as a lion. So the wicked are cowardly, the righteous are courageous. The wicked run when nobody's even coming after them. The righteous stand when somebody is charging them. In fact, in 2 Samuel 23, you read about David's mighty men, and they talk about a moment where they're in battle, and all the Israelites are running because they're being attacked by the enemy. They're losing, and one of David's men stands in the middle of that field with his sword, and he stands there, and he fights anyway until he wins. That's the righteous. That's you. Me? Yes. That's in your DNA. The righteous are as bold as a lion. You know the word bold here means to be confident. Somebody say, I'm confident. 
It means to be sure. It means to be secure, not insecure. As a believer, you're supposed to be bold and confident. We don't play small. We don't shrink back. We don't hide in fear. We step out on the battlefield when nobody else will. Even if they're going to attack us because of our faith, because of what we believe, we're still going to stand in with our sword. We're bold as a lion. Why? Because I know who's in me, and I know who's for me, and I know who's backing me up. And because I have trust in him, I can be bold. Your days of insecurity are over. Your days of lacking confidence are over. You are like a lion who is prowling around the jungle saying, what do y'all want with me? When you roar, the devil gets afraid. And it's time you start roaring. It's time you start being what God made you to be. It's time you stop hiding. Step out and be the bold lion that God has made you. So I'm going to add to your confession every day is I'm as bold as a lion. I'm secure. I'm confident because I belong to God and God backs me up. Do you understand? We are the lions in this jungle called earth. You, you hear what I just said? We, we're, not the, we're not the lambs. Now he is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. But because he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He made you like him. He is the lamb. He was lamb, but he's now the lion. And we are the lions. We, we prowl around even in this country like we the lambs. You got the name of Jesus. You got the authority of the believer. Same thing. You got the anointing of God. You got the word of God. You got special giftings in your workplace. What are you afraid of? Well, I, you know, it's kind of tough out here by, by yourself. That's the problem. I saw a video, I actually watched it before I came up to preach, and it was about one lion who somehow got out by himself and he was surrounded by hyenas. And of course, they're trying to do is eat him. They're trying to eat him. And so he's fighting them off, but as he's fighting them off, he's getting tired. And they start to really get in on him. And then, but then all of a sudden, his buddy hears what's happening. And when his buddy comes running, the hyenas go running. And the guy says, two male lions is too much for those hyenas to deal with. And part of the problem we have is that you are here by yourself. And you're not, the lions run in packs, baby. That's why we have groups, for example. You're supposed to be with other lions. You know, you're supposed to be walking arm in arm with them. That's why if the world hates us, well, so what? We got each other. Okay, y'all not even with me, man. I'm going to have to come back and preach that another time. You need to be bold in faith, which means that you got to, you know, you got to step out for God to work it out. Part of being a light is opening your mouth. Telling people about Jesus. Telling people what you believe. Encouraging somebody when they need encouragement. Saying, hey, can I pray for you when they, they, they come in and they're sick? Can I encourage you? It's, it's, it's when you get a prompting from the Holy Ghost, you just do what God says. There's a moment where you know what you're supposed to do and you need the boldness to just do it. And that's when you let your light shine. All right.
Last one. I know I'm over time. It's been a theme recently. Y'all going to have to pray for me. But y'all listening better. I think that's part of it. The church is growing up. Y'all pulling on me more. I used to be able to just preach a message. Y'all be looking at me like, oh, okay. That's good. Now y'all be like, oh, yeah, pastor, give it to me. And I'm like, wait, I'm trying to not preach too long. I see, I see how I blame y'all from, from what I'm doing. Anyway, <laughs> number five, how do I let my light shine? You got to flow with the Holy Ghost. Flow with the Holy Ghost. The light of a flashlight doesn't do good if it's not pointing in the right direction. You walk in a room when it's dark and you got the flashlight like this, it might help you a little bit. But, you know, it's not going to help you very much. You're going to run into walls. But if you point it where you're supposed to go, now it can help you. When God uses you to minister to people, there's a specific way that you need to do it. And he'll help you with that. In John chapter 5, verse 19, this is after Jesus healed a man by the pool of Bethesda. He was being criticized for what he said about it. And he explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son. Notice how Jesus says, God loves me. John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. I think it's okay to say God loves you. It might be good for you every morning to say, God loves me just as I am. That's for somebody. The father shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works. Oh, he's talking about works. He's talking about miracles. And of course, he had just healed a man. The greater works he was talking about was raising the dead. So he's telling you how he does miracles. Jesus, remember how he started off saying the son can do nothing by himself. So Jesus was telling you as a man walking the earth like us, he could do nothing supernatural. Nothing by himself, which means we're in good company. I can't do nothing supernatural by myself. Can you do something supernatural by yourself? I don't know about you. I can't heal somebody. I can't cast out a devil. I can't raise the dead. I can't even speak in tongues. I can't do nothing by myself. That takes all the pressure off because you're not doing it by yourself. Jesus is saying, God, the father is the one that's doing all the works. I just work with him. It's kind of like if you ever see, and I know we don't believe in magic, and, and I'm not saying that this is magic, but I, for illustration's sake, you know, if you do see a magician do some type of, you know, uh, act, they usually have a magician's assistant. And the assistant might help opening some doors or pulling some strings or doing a few things, but it's the magician that does the job. You're the magician's assistant. You're the one that works with God when he does miracles. The Bible says we're workers together with God. So how do I do that? Well, Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father do. See it, Jesus? Is the Father coming onto the earth and healing people? And, and you, oh, 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 no, wait, see, oh, perceive. That's what that means. You mean on the inside, you sense what God wants to do. And once he shows you that, then you do that. So this is why he walks into a place, a pool of Bethesda with thousands of people that are sick and he only goes to one man and heals the one man because he couldn't heal anybody by himself. He could only go where God led him to go. He had to go where the flashlight was, was pointing right. This is where the Holy Ghost said to go. So he went where he was led to go. 
that man got healed. This is why sometimes he lay hands on the, the blind and they would just get healed. But there were other times where he would say, you know what? I want you to, to, to he get down and he, he spit in the dirt and he pick it up and he rub it on his hands and he put it on this guy's eyes. And then he said, go wash it in the pool of Siloam. Why? Because that's the way God showed him to do it for this man. Now I'm getting deeper here. Some of y'all are like, I ain't here yet. You need to be. It's not hard. Doing miracles is not hard. Because you ain't doing it. You pulling the levers. You opening the door. All you got to do is whatever you sense, do it. He says, say this, say that. He say, do this, do that. Lay hands on this person, do it. Just speak to this person, do it. God's used me to do a lot of miracles over the years. And I can tell you, it ain't hard. It's as simple as doing the first thing we talked about, which is spending time with God every morning. And then checking in here when you when God gets when you step out, you do have to step out. Step on stage, open your mouth and start talking to somebody about Jesus. Ask, can I pray for you? Whatever it is, there's going to you got to be bold enough to put yourself in the arena. But once you're in the arena, just check in here. The Bible says as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's what we do. This is part of having a real relationship with God is that God will guide you throughout your day. In fact, most of us have had the experience of doing something wrong and seeing the results and saying something told me not to do that. Anybody ever had that experience? That was a someone. The Holy Spirit guides you throughout your day. Anybody ever have the Holy Spirit tell you not to eat that? And you ate it anyway? What happened? You got sick. And then you're like, man, the Holy Ghost told me. But anybody also have the Holy Ghost tell you, go here, go there, go here, buy this, do this, and you do it. And oh, oh my gosh. Look what God did. God did something super, even this building. I told you, I didn't want this building. I didn't want nothing to do with this building. We were looking for property. I was looking for land. Because every building I looked at in downtown Detroit was either a total disaster. Like somebody dropped a bomb on it or so ridiculously expensive that a church that was at the time two, three years old, we couldn't even think about that. And then our real estate agent brings us here on the way to look at land right down the street. And I'm kind of like, why are we even here? I, I was a little frustrated. This is 100 and 130,000 square feet. I'm looking to build maybe 20, 30,000 square feet for our young church. And I walk in the building and bing, 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 my spirit starts to light up. And then I said to her, how much does this cost? And as I'm walking through the building, God's prompting, yeah, this is, this is it. This is where your church, this is where your dreams finish. This is, oh. And then it took a year for a little church that shouldn't even be able to get a church building this big right off the freeway. A few minutes from downtown. Land all around. We can literally give the whole area of faith experience. We can turn this into a whole Canaan land type of experience and it took me weeks when I kept coming over here and I start I start oh I see God oh 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 I get it now I ain't get it at first how'd I get there I was just led just that little nudge See, God guides you in regards to what job you should take, what house you should buy, who you should marry, where you should send your kids to school, what food you should eat, get up and work out. I mean, he, 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 the Holy Spirit will guide you 
day by day by the inward witness, by the nudges of the Holy Spirit in here, by his whispers sometimes, sometimes a little louder, sometimes you might even have a vision or a dream, but this is how he guides you in your daily life. And one of the reasons I believe is because it prepares you for him to guide you in ministry in the same way. When he can lead you to go this way or down this street, and then when he, you do that, it prevents you from getting in an accident or even just being late. He can lead you to lay hands on this person and tell them, say, say exactly what you're supposed to say for them to get up and be healed. I'm getting deep now. But it's my job to give it to you because we got to get past the idea that that's only supposed to happen in the pulpit or with a few people in the front row. That's the revival in the back row all of us doing miracles and you do it the same way Jesus did by following the leading of the Holy Ghost and one another way of looking at this is that the Holy Spirit will give you a witness it's kind of like a check in your heart it's like a button is pressed yup that's me yup that's the job I want yup that's the house I want yup that's that's what you're supposed to say this yup that and you're looking every time you make a decision you're looking for the witness when you get that witness now you can be bold and you can say what God wants you to say that's how you make a mark by being a light to the world around you I'm just going to stop because of time's sake but I want to encourage you today to let your light so shine before men by having a real relationship with God by living right before men by taking your place in this world by being bold in faith and then last but not least by flowing with the Holy Ghost shine baby shine come on lift your hands toward heaven let's give God praise and glory for the word of God thank you for tuning in to another faith experience podcast remember God has a future for you